Welcome to Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go Beyond the Numbers to find out. Welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk. Today, I'm joined again by Adam Jones, Strategic Governance Consultant for Weaver and owner of Capital Jones, LLC. And today, we're talking about strategic governance. Adam, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Shelby. It's always fun to have a discussion. I love it. So uh, when we start to talk about governance, uh, not governments, but uh, governance, you know, we're really talking about the, the formal way in which organizations make decisions. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, Shelby, that's all governance is. Uh, I mean, it's, it's technically how an organization is governed, but that sounds very formal. What we're really talking about is how they make decisions and whether that's a, a board directing the activities of an executive director, whether that's a privately held business, whether that's a government agency that might even be helmed by an elected official. It's just the sort of decision-making framework from the top to the bottom of an organization that we're talking about. So when you look at the quality of a company's uh, governance, I mean, that can really make a profound difference on organization's performance and basically, you know, the way that the, the organization runs and is shaped. So when you talk about aspiring to strategic governance, what do you mean by that? An organization with a good strategic governance structure is making thoughtful decisions and they're doing it in a way where there's a consistent application. You establish a common mission and a common values. That vision and mission is communicated. You plan goals and outcomes, then you re allocate resources around those goals and outcomes and you evaluate, uh, preferably in some measurable fashion, and you sort of start the whole process over again. So an organization with good strategic governance is learning about itself, it's applying those lessons, and it's evolving as it goes through shared missions and values and decision making from the top to the bottom of the organization. So when it comes to governance, then, I mean, what do some of the very best organizations uh, tend to have in common? They tend to have shared values from the top. Uh, everybody sort of pulls in the right direction. You have a, uh, a common mission. You have common cultural values that you both promote and celebrate that, um, uh, works toward that mission, and then you have a planning process. You talk about, okay, as our organization or our company, what are our real goals? And what outcomes do we want to achieve those goals? And how are we going to measure those outcomes? So it's a continuum of decision-making that values input at each step along the way, that measures outcomes through key performance um, me metrics, usually called key performance indicators, 
and then evaluates at each step in the process, well, what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong? And it takes in everybody's input from the board of directors down to the line employees. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has a part to play. And organizations that employ strategic governance are learning organizations. They're learning about themselves and they're applying those lessons to getting better as they move on. When we look at this strategic governance and, and having uh, this kind of structure, I mean, structure is something we all need in in the best of times, but especially in the worst of times when we're dealing with a crisis. Uh, so I guess, can you speak to the importance of structure uh, when it comes to an organization that maybe you know abandons its traditional structure and is really trying to make decisions on the fly? There are two ways you make bad decisions as a leader. One is you make them too rapidly without thinking of the consequences. And the other is you become paralyzed with fear and you don't decide things fast enough and events can overtake you. Uh, and we're human. Everybody makes mistakes uh, in both of those realms, right? But if you're inside an organization that has an established structure for decision-making, even when you have to make decisions faster than you normally would without all the input and the forethought that you might put into it, even when events uh, start to, to overtake you and you, you feel paralyzed about, you know, do we do A, do we do B, do we do C? If you're in a, a mature organization that has established uh, governance, that has an established structure for decision-making, that has established performance metrics and outcomes, even if you have to change them in the short term, you're typically well served by sort of that organizational maturity that strategic governance can provide, uh, both in good times and in challenging ones. And just so I understand, um, when you say organizational maturity, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean the the actual maturity of, of the company and how long it's been around, but, uh, but what? What I mean by that is it's, uh, ability to function, its maturity in decision-making, its maturity in uh, how its thought processes work, uh, its maturity sometimes in its ambition. And there are a lot of maturity models that can be applied. Uh, there, there's a, a quick one I, I have in a blog post on Weaver's Resource and Recovery page. Uh, an organization, regardless of how old it is, may have operational maturity. In other words, it may uh, conduct its day-to-day -day operations competently. And sometimes it doesn't aspire to more than that. Or maybe it has innovative maturity where it accomplishes its day-to-day -day functions, but it's always looking for innovations to make those functions run a little better. It's always on the lookout for improvements at the margins. Or maybe at the top, an organization could have operational and innovative maturity, 
and it can also have opportunistic maturity. So it is very confident in its day-to-day operations. It's confident it's looking for improvement, but it's always with an eye on looking at the next opportunity and having the maturity to pivot and seize those opportunities. There, there are a million different maturity models, but, but when I talk about organizational maturity, I'm talking about its ability in sort of different realms to react to circumstances and to make opportunities out of those circumstances. So there's different types of uh, maturity models. So how do you go about implementing a maturity model once you, uh, once you realize that that's something that, that's really essential to your governance? A maturity model is really an as-is and a to-be function. So you, you have to assess where you are, and there's some fundamental questions to where you are. Um, so you can do this as an overall organization, or you can do it for a particular department. Let's let's throw one out. Let's Let's say we're going to look at the accounting department, since we're sponsored by an accounting firm today. So you have to ask questions about, well, how well are we functioning? Are we getting the job done every day? And if we're getting the job done every day, are there ways that we can marginally improve? And that breaks off into other maturity questions. Do we have the right people to improve? Are they supported by the right technology? And, you know, if we're a C plus today, how do we become a B? And if we can become a B, how do we become an A? So maturity is just a continuum of how effectively you're performing your work or how effectively your organization is maturing and delivering. One of the things you should remember about maturity models is there is a certain point where, um, as they say, the juice may not be worth the squeeze, right? There's a certain point where everything is so perfect and aligned and you're constantly on the bleeding edge of technology that you get into diminishing returns. So for every organization, you have to find a maturity level that fits where you want to be, that meets your own goals, that meets your own targets, that uh, your folks are happy with, where you're you're running a uh, mature functioning organization. When you say improving from a C to a B and then a B to an A, uh, what type of performance metric um, are we talking about? You know, what makes a good performance metric, and and uh, why do those make such a difference? The, the uh, sort of a low maturity organization tends to measure inputs. They tend to measure counting numbers, right, as their performance metric. How many times did we do this? How many things did we produce? And when you want to talk about a performance metric, you want measures of how effective your activities are, Uh, not just how many of them, not just how efficient but the effectiveness of an activity and how it contributes to the overall value of the organization. Um, let's let's take let's deliver a package today. We're, we're we're into a lot of package delivery during this time in our culture, right? So a, a basic metric is how many packages did you deliver yesterday? 
a performance metric is what was the average delivery time from uh, the time you took that order till the time you delivered the package. And then you get into things like uh, when you uh, organize a package delivery route, what's the best way to maximize fuel consumption? Uh, how does that compare to how we did this last year? In other words, there's, there's always a layer of efficiency. There's always a layer of effectiveness. There's always a layer of value that you sort of tease out with any activity you do. And the more value you can tease out of an activity, the better you can be at creating uh, powerful performance metrics. There's also a risk component then that can, can come into organizations uh, when it comes to making decisions. Uh, can you speak to how risk plays a factor in making decisions? Uh, yeah, that's a great question because strategic governance also has to look at their uh, at an organization's control environment. And at every point in the process, uh, where does risk come in? Where does risk for business disruption come in? Where does uh, risk of a technology failure come in? Where are there uh, places where human beings are making decisions? We wanna make sure they're well-trained and act in an ethical manner. So strategic governance not only considers maturity and effectiveness, but it works to mitigate risk throughout the organization. And you don't want to run an organization that's completely risk averse because, you know, part of the power of entrepreneurship is entrepreneurs take calculated risk, right, to be successful. But you do want to consider sort of internal control points and stress points um, and points where things like segregation of duties become important. So not only are uh, organizations that are governed strategically uh, typically highly functioning and successful, they also take a very honest and straight up view of risk and how they mitigate them. And both of those things benefit from strong decision-making processes, strong shared values, strong communications from the top to the bottom of an organization. So when we start to look at, uh, again, strategic governance, uh, looking at strategic planning and using that to make good decisions, uh, as we start to look at the big picture, why is strategic planning just so important? If you, um, if you if you tell a random group of people, all right, we're going to undertake a strategic planning exercise, you get a lot of eye rolls and groans. <laughs> and, and part of that is because uh, it's not easy. But if you take a positive view of strategic planning, what you're really doing when it comes right down to it is your goal setting. Here's our mission as an organization. We're going to run a great uh, machine tools shop, right? When you go from day-to-day -day business to strategic planning, what you're really doing is involving your folks in a conversation about what are, what are our goals? Do we want to be big? Do we want to be uh, 
known as the producer of highest quality? Do we want to be fast? Do we want to be an organization that starts with this product and expands into other things? Now, any of those are rational goals for business, but you have to have a collective conversation about what your goals really are, how those goals match the values of the organization, how you can allocate resources toward those goals. And once you start having those conversations, you're really engaging in a strategic planning exercise. And at the end of that exercise, maybe it helps if you tell your people, well, we're not really doing strategic planning. But when you start asking those questions, that's what you're doing. At the end of the day, you have, um, you know, both short-term goals and more aspirational ones. And when you can allocate resources and get people uh, aligned to achieving those goals, then you've really got something going. One last thing. I know that... uh... You've said and made a point before that uh, a budget document is a strategy document, not uh, just a financial one. Can you explain that a little bit and, and what you mean by the fact that, that a budget document is, is outside of numbers? It's really a larger picture. The best organizations budget for performance or sometimes you hear the term zero-based budgeting. And that means instead of a traditional budget exercise where you take what you did last year and you increase it by 10%, what you're really doing is you're engaging in a resource allocation exercise. Uh, And and during budget time, you're, you're talking about you know, funding different people and components and activities of an agency. Well, these aren't financial decisions. Um, well, they are financial decisions, but they're they're more than that. They're resource allocation decisions. You are making cogent decisions about where to put resources. And you're sort of betting on uh, what resource allocation will lead to the best results. So when I say a budget document is a strategy document, what I mean is if you really engage in thoughtful resource allocation, you are making strategic investments inside your organization and you're hoping those investments pay off in the best way. Uh, Now, at the end of the day, the, the results of that activity, that becomes a financial document. But a budget document is the strategy you're pursuing to get to your financial success. Well, Adam, I always appreciate all of the insight and thoughtful answers you have for us. Uh, it really kind of helps uh, look at the big picture, but also look at, at businesses as a microcosm and uh, taking those step-by-step actions um, it's it's helpful instead of just like you said, saying we're going to talk about strategic planning, we're going to talk about strategic governance. Uh, you know, really understanding what that means is uh, is certainly helpful. So, Adam, I really do appreciate your time. If people want to reach out to you, how can they get in contact with you? You can always find Adam Jones at LinkedIn or hit me up at uh, Twitter at Capital Jones. And over the next few months, uh, Weaver has, has published a fantastic resource for organizations. It's called our Resilience and Recovery Resource Center. So please visit us at weaver.com 
and we'd love to to uh, continue this discussion and uh, have further discussions about how we can help the, the business and government community with some of these tough decisions that we'll be faced with. Well, if you like today's podcast and would like to tune in for more insights on financial and business trends, regulations, best practices, and, and really just the issues that keep professionals up at night, please subscribe to Weaver Beyond the Numbers on Apple or Spotify. Weaver, accounting for more than numbers. Until next time, I'm Shelby Skirhawk.